Welcome back to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. Our live podcast tour in fall 2023 continued in New York City, and we recorded it just for you. We covered a lot of the same material as our Boston episode, so we are only publishing our game and then the Q&A at the end. Enjoy! Huge, huge, huge welcome, everyone. It's so nice to see all of you and to be here with you tonight in my favorite city and former home, New York City. Uh, And we're so thrilled that you joined us for this live episode of Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. And I want to say a huge, huge thank you to Latham and Watkins for hosting us, providing so much delicious food, including my two favorite vegetables, endive and um, a fennel. So I'm very excited about that. That was a coincidence. I did not make special requests. And a huge shout out to uh, Juliana and Chris who are here tonight and to their entire teams, um, Rosemary and James and like many, many other people who helped us put this together. So I'm sure some of you know that Christy and I uh, hosted a podcast together for three seasons, which covered um, many aspects of the law school admissions process. And our goal was simple. We wanted to democratize information, lower barriers uh, to access, and give all of you information right from the source, uh, straightforward and direct. And so if you're interested in the podcast and you haven't uh, listened to it yet, you can find it on, you know, Spotify and all the major podcast platforms this year. However, we're on the road. We tried something new. We'll see how it goes. And, but the goal remains the same. And that is to help all of you navigate the law school admissions process. We know it's stressful and anxiety producing, and we're here to hopefully, um, lower some of that anxiety and give you really helpful information. So I'm going to let, uh, my colleague and wonderful friend, Christy, introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. We are so, so thrilled you're here. Um, if we were on SNL, we'd be like live from New York. It's Thursday night. Thursday night. All right. So this podcast was born out of the pandemic, as Miriam described. So it's particularly meaningful to be together in person and to share your energy and to eat some snacks together. And thank you again to Latham for for hosting our event. My name is Christy Jobson. I'm the Dean of Admissions at Harvard Law School. My uh, path to HLS and this role had a few twists and turns, but I started out as a teacher after college right here in New York City. I taught at PSMS 15 up in the Bronx, 183rd and Andrews Avenue. Um, And then after law school, I worked for some judges and I worked as a litigator at a large firm before returning to HLS. This is my sixth, this is our sixth year. Our sixth year. Our sixth year. We started just a couple weeks apart from one another. Actually, we met for the first time here in New York. Yes. At an event. Yes, that's right. Yes. Who who would have thought? I know. From there to here. I know. It's crazy. And my favorite part of my job is getting to meet people like you at events like this and then seeing you come to HLS and then watching you go through um, law school and then getting to know you as alumni. I got to have coffee with two of my wonderful former students this afternoon. It's great. So I'm thrilled to be here. All right. So very briefly, so I'm Miriam Ingber. I'm the Associate Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Yale Law School. I also had a very meandering path to get here. So that's just a note to all of you. You don't know where you're going to land um, 20 years from now and to just be open to all sorts of things. Um, I'm Canadian. I clerked at the Supreme Court of Canada after graduating from YLS in 2004. I litigated for a while at law firms. Um, I was a civil rights litigator for a number of years. I taught legal research and writing at NYU. I was a career counselor at NYU and then came back to Yale. So I've done all sorts of different things. They've all been um, wonderful in different ways. Uh, but this is, I think, the best job I've ever had. I feel very lucky 
lucky to have it, um, even though it's not something I ever imagined um, doing. And like Christy, it's it's really a, a job for people, people. And um, it's really great to get to, to meet all of you to and to hopefully be helpful to you. And I actually just hired someone that I admitted, uh, which was kind of a, a full circle moment and a little bit crazy. Uh, I didn't even realize until she said it that I think she was in the first class that I admitted and now she's back um, on my team. So that's pretty special um, also. So it's, it's, it's nice to be in this spot instead of the newbies, which we were for a while. All right. I'm going to give you our agenda. Um, as podcast listeners know, we start every episode with a game. So we're going to start tonight with a game and we will require audience participation. So three of you will be chosen start to think whether you want to raise your hand for that. Um, and then after the game, we're going to walk you through key aspects of the admissions process. What are we looking for? Transcripts, testing, letters of rec, essays, resumes, and then interviews. We'll have some time for Q&A. We have a few that were pre-submitted. We'll try to take some live as well. Uh, and that's basically the plan for the evening. So one logistical reminder, about an hour or so ago, you should have received an email with a link to check in and say, yes, I am here. I have come to this event. Um, if you could take a moment and go ahead and check that link, that'd be awesome. And if for whatever reason it's not working for you, don't worry. Latham and Watkins will give us the list of people who were here and we'll, we'll reconcile attendance so we can send you a little email. And with that, I think it's game time. It's game time. Okay. Hands up. If you want to volunteer, ooh, this is you um, look so excited about this opportunity. Come on up, my friend, to the front. I, I a reminder that different if you volunteer, okay. you will be on the mic. Is there anyone in the back with recorded. their hands? I thought, oh yeah, right in the back. You, come on up, yes, please. All Note right. that they didn't Other even know what yes, game they're volunteering far for. Side. They don't yep. even know. There we go. Okay, so now you have to introduce yourselves. If you can do maybe just name, you can do fir first and last or just first if you're more comfortable with just first. And I want one fun fact for the record. Okay, you came up last, but you're going to go first. Okay, name and fun fact for contestant number one. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Isabella. And my fun fact is at some point in my life, I thought I was going to be a nun. Wow. Okay. That was a very good, that's hard to beat. So you, you better step up to the plate. Okay. Name and fun fact number contestant number two. Hi, I'm Harrison Copel. I'm a fellow NYUer. And my fun fact is that I have a hundred ton U.S. Coast Guard captain's license. Oh, that was a good one. Ooh, the pressure's really on for contestant number three. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Mark Yonker. Uh, I guess my fun fact is that when I was in middle school, I was an extra in a Netflix children's show. Okay. Those are some good fun facts. Those are better than average fun facts. I'm impressed. All right, Christy, it's on to you. So you volunteered for this game without knowing what it was. You should never volunteer that. for things without knowing that. what they are. <laughs> Note for future. Okay. Our game tonight is a podcast favorite, Two Truths and a Lie. So this game is played just like the name suggests. We are going to share three statements or three anecdotes all of which touch on the law school admissions process and our personal experience with law school admissions. And your audit, you, our audience volunteers, will have to figure out which one is the lie. Are you ready for round one? They are ready. I can confirm. They are ready. Okay. Our first category is outrageous admitted student behavior. Everyone's on their best behavior before they get admitted. And then sometimes the true colors come out. Okay. Number one, an admitted student asks for a travel subsidy for a flight from Europe to attend an admitted student program. 
The school agrees to provide them with 50% above the general cap on travel subsidies since they're going to be traveling from abroad. The admitted student then submits a receipt for four times the agreed upon amount for a business class flight. When questioned, they explain that they, quote, only travel business when it's an overseas flight and demand reimbursement in full. The answer is no. So that's scenario one. Okay. Scenario two, an admitted student declines their offer of admission and decides to go to another school a few hours after the official decision deadline. A few days later, they reach out and say they changed their mind. They're told, okay, but they need to send some documentation that they withdrew from the other school. They ghost. A few months later, they reach out via a faculty member to communicate that they have changed their mind yet again and want to join the incoming class. The answer is no. Scenario three, an admitted student asks multiple schools to speak with alumni to discuss their law school experience and careers. When asked more about his interests so he can be matched with appropriate alumni, the admit says he only wants to talk to US senators. <laughs> the answer is no. Okay, volunteers, which one is the lie? The travel subsidy from Europe, the ghost, or the fan of US senators? I don't think it's a ghost. I think that person's a flip-flopper. The flip-flopping ghost. The flip-flopping ghost. All right, Isabella, which one is the lie? It's pretty tough. Um, weirdly, they all seem feasible. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say number two is the lie. We have one vote for number two. All right. Do you agree? I like number two. I think number one is very convincing and very plausible. I could see someone getting too comfortable, but I'm going to go with number three because I don't think U.S. senators is high enough. I think someone <laughs> someone's asking for the president. OK. All right. <laughs> Moving on. I also agree. I think scenario three is the lie. Okay, so we have two votes for scenario three, one vote for scenario two, and nobody got it right. The lie is the travel <laughs> subsidies from Europe. That's shocking. I would have expected maybe someone in administration just overlooking the business class and letting them, or maybe just letting Just them. to be clear, we're never overlooking the business class. <laughs> Our business office would have us fired if we overlooked the business class. <laughs> As the scenarios say, the answer is no. Okay, you ready for round two? All right, All let's right. see if you can do better. I feel like I picked bad volunteers in Boston. They were getting these right. Come on, New Yorkers. You got to beat, <laughs> beat, the, beat the Bostonians. You're doing me down, doing me a dirty. Round okay. two. This category is outrageous resumes. Number one, under the interest section of her resume, an applicant included a series of pictures of her favorite things, including pointillism, cats that curl up like croissants, and pink-blue sunsets. That's not an exhaustive list. <laughs> Scenario two. An applicant submitted a resume that utilized a very light gray font that was next to impossible to read, even when the admissions officer zoomed really far in on the PDF. When printed, the paper out of the printer was virtually blank. Number three. On page two of her resume, the applicant submitted an anti-resume listing out, quote, opportunities I have rejected along the way. Okay. Could any of those be true? Really? All right. We're going to start with contestant number two this time. I don't want to put you under the gun again. All right. I know people like number one. 
number two, I'm on the fence about. I'm going to go with number three. That's too bold to be real. Too bold to be real. Okay, we have a vote for number three. Number one's just strange. <laughs> um, I'm, There's some strange people out there. No, and number two to me, like blank could be a mistake. So I'm going to go with number one. We have a vote for number one and we have a vote for number two. Are you going to just take the, let's go for number three so at least someone gets this right? That's an approach one could take. Wait, I think Harrison. Oh, Harrison at number three. Yeah. So we, okay, there we go. Yes. All right. I was going to go with number three as well. Um, all right. Yeah. They all, all right. Can. They all seem feasible. Okay. okay. So two for three and one for one. And um, nobody got it right. The lie yeah. was the very last no, you, you're just going to nail it on the third one. I have complete confidence in you guys. Like yeah, I think we need, we need a phone. Yeah, we're, we're having an ask for a phone the friend. Oh, we I, could do a poll of the audience. We could do an audience. Okay, let's so do let's, that. We'll, on we'll the next read. one, we'll do an audience poll after our contestants okay. have voted. Category okay. three, outrageous quotes from applicants. Number one, from a letter of recommendation, quote, this letter, I hope, is the last time I ever have to think about this student again. That's not good. Very not good. Quote number two from an addendum. This is the opening of the addendum. Quote, wait, before you throw away my application, let me explain. <laughs> and finally, from a personal statement, quote, people can be weak. People can be mean. This is why we need law. Maybe that's true. So I, let's, I'll, uh, I'll, let's, we'll do a show of hands in the audience. Oh, you want to do show of hands in the audience? Do you want to phone a friend first? Or do you want to... I want to phone a friend after, yes. personally. I don't want to okay. bias my Okay, there we go. We don't, I like this. We don't want to bias. All right. You're up first this time. Contestant number three. I kind of forgot what situation one was. <laughs> situation first. one... Was, I hope this is the last time I've ever heard of this applicant from a recommender. It's that one. <laughs> you think that's impossible. Okay, we have a vote for number one. All right, Isabella. Now I regret not seeing the audience vote. Hmm, who's going to telepathically send me the answer? Uh, I'm also going to go for number one. I've heard of some recommenders saying, you know, I hope that um, this person doesn't get in so I can keep them as an employee but I've not heard of something that egregious. <laughs> that egregious, yes. Okay, Harrison, what do you think? I'm sticking with my two contestants up here. I'm going number one. All right, we have a straight, all right, audience. Wow. All right, so let's do an audience poll. Raise your hand if you think the lie is number one, the letter of recommendation. Okay, they agree with the volunteers. That's a lot. Raise your hand if you think that the lie is number two. Wait, before you throw out my application, let me that. explain. Okay. For the podcast listeners, not on, only a handful. Um, okay. And then raise your hand if you think it's from the personal statement. People can be weak. People can be mean. This is why we need law. Oh, wait, that's another one. So no one thought it was number two, really. It was a somewhat even split between one and three. You very, thought, aggressively, thought very aggressively thought it was number two. Okay. All right. The lie. All three volunteers got it correct. Yes! Here's a round of applause on the final round. I'm glad you stuck to your guns. Thank you for coming out strong. All right, thank you to our volunteers. Round of applause. Woohoo!
Okay. So when you registered for this event, you may recall that you submitted some of your questions for us. We had great questions. There were so eight questions. Thank you for all of you for being thoughtful. And I'm sorry, we can't do more, but we'll do a few. All right. So this first one is from Anna. This one, I think we can just answer here. And oh, we can do these here. Yes. You're, you're completely correct. We'll do some pre-submitted. And then if anyone wants to get on the mic reminder, you will be recorded, but if anyone wants to get on the bike, we'll do some live questions as well. Okay. So this first one I wanted to ask was, is from Anna. Um, Anna asked, how are schools viewing the gradual LSAT and GPA increases that have been documented over the past few years? So those big global rise in GPA, we talked about grade inflation and then also LSAT score increases. So I, I, th I think about those things a little bit differently. So for test scores, what we're being told by the test companies, really in this case, um, LSAC primarily, is that they're psychometricians who are like people with PhDs have done tremendous data analysis and that a test score is a test score is a test score. So 175 now is the same as a 175 was, and that there's reasons. It's not that it's easier. It's other factors are, have led to more people scoring well. And I think that we we take that seriously. Um, and so I view the test score as the test score. And I, I don't differentiate between when did you get whatever score you got. So that's on the test score piece. The grade inflation is a really complicated question. Um, I think it's it's like one of those like race to the bottom things where you know schools feel very pressured and professors feel very pressured to give lots of high grades because if everyone else is doing it and I don't do it, I'm the bad guy. It's just, it's it's like a like a tragedy of the commons. In, and what it ends up doing is hurting people who are really excellent, like the exceptional student, just kind of get lumped in. When you're at a school when 15% of people are graduating with a 4.0 and there are schools like that out there that we could both name, you know, the people who were at the tippity top, you don't know who they are anymore, right? Because they're lumped in with 15%. That's a huge percentage of the school. Um, it's good kind of for... The people just below that, right? Because now they're getting the benefit of that. So there's people that it's helping and there's people that it's hurting. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like anything, it's certainly tough for the schools where there's less grade inflation, but the students who are rising to the top at those schools are really standing out in a way that it's harder at these other schools. So it, it's on a global basis. It's not something that's without its costs to certain people. Um, and it's something we're very well aware of. And I think think a lot about when we're reviewing transcripts. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. I think about this all the time. I, I think that about covers it. Okay. No all right. No notes. All right. We did right. not talk about these in advance. So I wasn't sure if, if you actually agreed with me. I'll, I'll answer this second one. First. Okay, go for it. All right. So this is from Evan. Evan asked, what is the number one thing you see frequently in law school essays that you would highly advise against? Um, okay. So the number one thing I'd advise against is having every sentence start with I or my or me somewhere in the sentence. Um, perhaps writers don't necessarily mean to do this, but you can come across as rather self-absorbed um, and it is not always a good look. It's also kind of repetitive as, you know, just in basic writing, um, that's my that's my number one thing I would advise against. I 100% agree. It's one of those like yellow flags about is this a nice person when they are so focused on themselves in the personal statement. I'll just say something more general, which is don't forget what the personal statement is for and who your audience is. I think any piece of writing you should be thinking about function and audience. Um, the function is to tell us why you're going to law school. Um, 
and you know how you're going to fit into our community and eventually the legal profession. Um, and you know your audience is professional school, you know faculty and administrators. So you know you're you're trying to join a professional and academic community, and it should be designed for that audience with that purpose. So that's a little bit different than college, which is probably the last time you did something similar, where I think it was a little bit more amorphous. Um, you were definitely a little bit younger. I think there was, uh, you had to demonstrate, I think, less focus of purpose than I think you you do now. And so I would just like keep that in mind uh, when you're writing the piece. Okay, let's do maybe two more. Sure. Okay, I'm down for two. If you could go back to your 1L self, knowing what you know now, what pieces of advice would you give your 1L self? This is from Emily. Oh my God. I was such a baby when I was in 1L. Um, what piece of advice would I give my, I mean, so many things. I think I would tell myself to remember to remember why I was there, I, I went to law school to do public interest work and I was thinking international public interest work. And then I didn't like the international side of public interest work. And I ended up on the private sector, um, which was not a great fit for me, which is no knock at all in the private sector. Like, you know, my husband is a private sector attorney and like absolutely loves it. I know lots of people love it, but it was not what I was there for and was not, didn't connect with me. And I, I think I just like lost sight of me a little bit when that first thing I tried wasn't right. And I tell this to one else all the time, like, remember why you're here. Remember your intrinsic motivation, like don't get distracted. And I think I got distracted once that first thing I tried wasn't what I expected it to be. And so just always like, like look inside yourself and always like check in with yourself when you're making big decisions. Like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Does this feel right to me? Like have a trusted person outside of law school, like, you know, your parent or your best friend from childhood or your college best friend who's nothing to do with law school. Like, does this resonate as me? And I, I think if you do that, you'll end up happier in the long run. My advice to myself would be to uh, think about my relationship with professors differently. When you're in graduate school, maybe some of you have already experienced this, but I had not experienced this by, by my 1L year. When you're in graduate school, oftentimes the relationship with faculty is more of a senior colleague, junior colleague um, relationship where faculty are expecting you to share your ideas. They are genuinely interested in your ideas and they see you as more of a junior colleague in the profession, as opposed to um, at least what can happen in a lot of undergraduate experiences where the it can feel like the professor's there to tell you the things that you need to know and you shall absorb those things and then um, regurgitate them on the test that the professor gives you. Law school is just very, very different. And it, I think it took me a couple semesters to really start thinking of myself as a junior colleague with valid opinions to offer and, and substance to share, I think I would have been a lot happier if I had that mindset right away when I'll fall. One of my professors, I re our professors, I recently heard say that, you know, he views our students as comrades in this shared endeavor of learning. And I thought that was so beautiful, like that there's like, I think it really aligns with what Christy is saying about how faculty, certainly at our schools, I don't know, I don't know whether that's true or not at other schools, view our students and how much, um, respect they give them and how much they enjoy working with them. But I, that really just like stuck with me as such a beautiful way to express that, that same view. Okay. And then finally from Lucy, what's your favorite part about the community at your respective schools? I think we're going to have the same answer. So I'm going to go first. The students, the She's stealing my answer. 
Um, we, I think both really love our students and find that to be one of the most gratifying parts of, of our roles. And I think pretty much every faculty member and, um, administrator and probably all the rest of the students would say the same. Yes. A hundred percent of students. I'm just going to say like the thing I love best about my students. I always say this, I feel like we're all, it's just like these quirky, passionate, interesting, funny people. And it's like, just such like an absolute pleasure. Like, I think we're both at the beginning of the school year and you go from the summer, it feels so dead and quiet. And you're like, what, what? and then it's like, they come back and it's just like so much joy. Like there's noise and you see them and you're in the courtyard and you're just, they're walking around and it's, it's really such a pleasure. Like it reminds us, reminds me. And I think you too, of yeah. why we're doing, why we're doing this in the first place. All right. Live question time. Oh, I saw a hand right away. I had my eyes on you when you put it up. I'm coming. So, I'm going to hang back here. Um, and, but I bet we'll both answer it. It'd be awesome if you could share your name if you wanted to. Thank you. Um, I'm Elena. Um, uh, I was wondering for like in the personal statements and also like why law, if you do have a specific like type of law that you're already interested in or that you might have experience in, is it better to include that and kind of expand on that? If like, if like you know for sure already, or like you have that interest, I would say you do you. Some people have it and some people don't. Oftentimes, um, if there, especially if there's other aspects of your application that really point to that interest, which there may be from your past experiences, your professional experiences. Um, sometimes by the time I get to an essay, I have a really strong sense of why the person wants to go to law school from the rest of the materials. Um, so if, if you're called to share that, awesome. Uh, most everybody who's going to law school is still kind of figuring it out. There's a lot of things that they're interested in, um, but they don't necessarily know. So I have a, you do you answer. I, the only thing I'll add to that is that the one time I wouldn't is if it feels really inconsistent with everything else. So if you're, you know, a budding tax lawyer, but you've spent like six years working at the UN, maybe just keep that to yourself unless you've been volunteering it, you know, for one of those VITA programs. And you're like, that's actually how I realize I have this super passion for tax. You just want to make sure that there's a consistency and authenticity there. And you're not just telling you're showing. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Right. I'm going to hand down the mic. For the listeners on the podcast, the mic is being handed down the row and here we go. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, my name is Carolyn. I had a question about scholarships and how that distribution kind of works. Is that anything we should be worrying about on our end, like additional essays? Of course, that's school specific, but I just wanted to ask. The mic is now going back to Miriam, who's going to take the first crack at answering this okay, question. Okay, I have the mic. Uh, that's a great question. And I think obviously the financial component of law school is a really important one. Uh, it's an easy answer, I think, for that I can speak for both of us. We are the only two law schools in the country that do exclusively need-based aid. And so, no, you don't need to do anything extra to get um, the financial aid that you will get at our schools after you are admitted. If you're admitted, um, there'll be an application process. You'll be in conversation with our financial aid offices, and they'll put together a need-based package for you. I think that's quite different than other schools, but I don't want to speak for them. Um, Pretty much every other law school does some combination of merit and need-based aid, which is a very different process that does sometimes require extra essays. Okay. I go all the way to the other side of the room. I'm walking. Don't be nervous. I'm coming. I could see you're a little nervous. Don't be. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Rahima. I wanted to ask, and this maybe only applies to Harvard, but I'm 
asking both of you. Um, assuming your essays are in their final form and the other components of your application are complete, could you talk about the trade-off between applying sort of as early as possible versus maybe applying a little bit later, um, but potentially having the opportunity to take the LSAT again? If your application is not at the point that you want it to be, and I would include everything from, I want to spend another week really editing my essays, or um, I'm planning on retaking the LSAT, I would not press submit on the application. Uh, at HLS, we, re we release our admit dates ahead of time. We don't make any decisions until January. So there's not really a big advantage to applying earlier rather than later in these next few months. Um, and I think in general, actually for most law schools, the, uh, the emphasis is more on the content of your application and nothing about the timing. I think most law school admissions officers would tell you that a strong application is a strong application in October, and it's a strong application in February, and it's highly unlikely that the outcome will be different based on when you press submit or not. That is even more true for YLS, where we are truly timing agnostic. So, I, But I also agree that in general, I think the advantage of applying early is probably overstated. Okay, maybe one final question. Do you think that sounds right? Sure. Okay, I'm coming all the way to the back. That's why we're, it's like, dun, 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 dun. But dun, 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 thank you. Dun, you do You do have a better singing voice than me, that's for sure. Okay, wait. I, ah. Hi, my name is Olivia. Um, so this applies more to HLS than YLS because, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it, it still applies somewhat. Um, I know that YLS has a separate activities section from uh, the yes. resume. And so um, I took a look at the resume toolkit on Harvard's website. I noticed a lot of the clubs were just listed in bullet points and didn't have a lot of explanation. So my question was, um, do you have any advice for how to maybe talk about the clubs you were in and what you did a little bit without taking up too much space on your resume? Sure. So we were talking earlier about resumes being curated, right? Um, so I think that a lot can depend on how that you're talking about clubs, for example, like an undergraduate organization, how that experience aligns with the skills that you're hoping to bring to the, your legal career and also your general interests. So let's say that you are someone who's really passionate about environmental law. So the earlier question, you're somebody who knows what you want to do and you're passionate about environmental law and you want to utilize your resume to showcase your longstanding commitment to environmental law, your involvement with an environmental law group in undergrad, um, might be something that you makes better sense for you as part of that experience section, assuming, of course, it was good substantive involvement um, rather than you know listing it alongside activities with everything else under the sun that you did in undergrad. Um, and I think a lot of the same advice that we provided about that experience section applies. So thinking about what you accomplished, maybe highlighting specific projects that you worked on. Oftentimes for undergraduate organizations, um, people are in different leadership roles, um, sort of showcasing how you as a leader made an impact on that organization. When possible, quantifying it can be really helpful, right? So um, increased uh, involvement by X percentage, hosted a, a multi-day conference with over 300 attendees. Um, that can give the reader a sense of... Um, what you did, how you made an impact on this organization and, and also allows you to showcase 
kind of why it's important to you. Anything to add, Miriam? I think that's all exactly right. And I also, just to relieve some of the pressure, we know having been an undergrad and having seen many resumes, there's a lot of things that we get. You know, if you were, you know, a member or, you know, vice president of internal affairs for a, a student org, we we get what that means. If you were, you know, vice president for X at your fraternity or sorority, you don't have to give us four bullet points for us to understand that. And I agree with Christy, the ones that you should really be highlighting are those that are most connected to your law school interests, paths, or maybe the most substantial one that you really learned and grew from the most. Think about, you know, if let's say somebody was reviewing something like the Yale activities section where things are more listed out and somewhat more neutral, think about which activities you'd really want the admissions officer to be like, Ooh, this has caught my eye. This helps me understand this applicant. And for our activity section, we ask you to list them in order of importance to you as one way for us to get a sense of what you actually care about, because for the reason that you mentioned that it is a little bit more neutral in terms of the setup. Do we have time for one final or are we done? I think we, I think we have time. We have time. Okay. Yes, it's you. Um, hi, my name is Charlie. And uh, my question has to also do with the activity section. Um, you just mentioned, um, you just mentioned, um, you know, put, listing your activities in, orders in, in order of importance. But when I was an undergrad, I worked a work study job for pretty much all four mm -hmm. years of my undergrad. So I was wondering how I would like lump that into my application, how I would provide context to what I did during my, you know, extracurricular time. I'm really glad you asked this question. Um, and it's one of the reasons we actually have our activities section structured the way it is, um, where we ask for the number of hours and whether things were paid or unpaid. And it's a chance, I think, for, for many people who do have to work um, or do work substantially during um, college or uh, to really highlight that and so that that doesn't get lost. Um, I think people often view, and I know Christy and I both feel the same way about this, people often feel that these jobs are not going to be looked upon favorably or, oh, it wasn't that important, I wasn't doing something fancy. I think really to the contrary, um, that showing that you can multitask and balance a substantial job, um, often one that's not super fun. You know, it's, it's not, you know, patting your resume out. You just, you're doing it because you need to do it is actually really impressive. Um, and we want to know about it. Um, we want to know how many hours you spent on it, that you were doing it for pay. And that's not to knock all the fancy things. Some people have the opportunity to do. Those are great too, but it's a different kind of great and, and not more great. Um, than someone who is really working to support themselves and maybe their loved ones as well. So I, I think that you can do that on a resume. You can certainly do that very easily on our activity section. And I encourage you to find a way to include that information in your application to all law schools. I think lots of people feel like we do and really appreciate and want to know about that. And I'll just give a shout out to things like being a caregiver, um, taking care of, of family members, those things matter a lot too. In our activity section, we have an other category that's a good place for that. There are other ways on other applications to make sure that that important and very time-consuming work is recognized and appreciated. And you know who else really likes folks who worked 15 to 20 hours a week in college? Legal employers. Uh, yeah, they do. And There's on that note, on that. On that note, thank you to Latham and Watkins for hosting us tonight. Good segue, Christy. I'm impressed. <laughs> and thank you to all of you for being here. We had the best time and we'll see you over by the food. <laughs> <laughs>